0: Hello. How you doing, man? Um, <clears throat> I just uh, programmed for this evening. And On point where for they changed seven, their story, but that's where 137K. Um, this is Trump, Trump reeks of desperation as Fox gets hammered in court. This is two weeks ago. So let's go to hottest touch. I know they just posted something. Republican curl, collapse. Trump and GOP problems get even bigger live. A
1: lot of excitement, financial catastrophe. President Biden brought the House down at the White House Correspondents' Dinner this weekend. He
0: and comedian
1: Roy Wood Jr. showed what a normal event looks like, filled with laughter, self-deprecating humor but also a powerful defense of the freedom of the press and our Hmm. democracy. Super Midas Brothers. MAGA Republicans this weekend continued their media appearances, showing America just how radical and extreme and out of touch they are, especially as they now hold our nation hostage to their outrageous demands in order to raise the debt ceiling and avoid financial catastrophe. Also, we should mention Donald Trump made another appearance on Fox with Mark Levin, again showing what a maniac he is. i got to show you some of these clips. I mean, it's the strangest stuff in the world. Also, as Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen stated that America will likely default on its debt by June 1st. If How about kick out isn't all the fucking raised Republicans? Congress, sure. President Biden, like a responsible adult, reached out to the so-called for congressional leaders to say enough is enough. Stop this MAGA madness. Pass a clean debt ceiling bill so our economy can function.
2: Call for the
0: expulsion of all the GOP traitors from January 6th insurrection. So, tell the Democrats to grow a spine and expel the January 6th insurrectionists from office now.
1: We'll report on that as well. Day three of testimony in the E. Gene Carroll trial. So, where was Donald Trump? Not at trial. Huh. Like the coward <laughs> that, that he answer. is, he was far, far from the courtroom. He essentially fled to Scotland <laughs> uh, and Ireland. Claiming that he would be opening a new golf course there. Um, And just the image, the strength of E. Gene Carroll compared to Donald Trump literally fleeing for this contrived trip to Scotland and Ireland. I mean, it it is so outrageous. And as Donald Trump essentially fled the country, what was his lawyer, Joe Takapena, doing? Well, Joe Takapena filed a frivolous motion for a mistrial. Remember, We said that here on the Midas Touch Network, that that would be coming. That is Uh what they filed. And the judge, in like two seconds before the court even started, was like, yeah, I'm denying that motion. You may proceed with your witness. That's Mm. what took place there. And also, Ron DeSantis continues to make a fool out of himself. and more here on the Midas Touch podcast. Brett, Jordy, how are you both doing? I'm doing great.
0: Something to designate Trump a vexatious litigant.
3: Brothers, great to see you guys. You guys are looking like really sharp tonight.
0: Merton Order a psychiatric evaluation of Trump Demand that judges order a psychiatric evaluation of Trump
3: now I feel like I'm a little underdressed for the occasion. But, you know, I'm traveling. I'm over here on the East Coast. I'm in New York uh, having a good time. Haven't seen any of those marijuana zombies that Marjorie Taylor Greene promised I'd be seeing in the streets hey. as I roam around. Uh, maybe the rain kind of scared them away or something. I'm, I'm not too sure, but I, but I didn't see them out here. But it's it's great to be in New York. And it's great to be here on the Midas Touch podcast with the bros. Jordy, how you doing? I'll be seeing you welcome, welcome, welcome,
4: welcome to the East
3: Coast
1: time zone, big bro. Excited to have you on the same time zone as me. Ben, come on, man. Hop, hop on to it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing my jean jacket for those audio listeners. And I got to say, I'm not really like a jean jacket kind of guy. You're like, a guy right now. Right? you got you like Jay off.
3: Leno look right now. Yeah, that no, looks good in you. Thanks, man.
0: for the mass expulsion of the GOP traitors from January 6th insurrection. Mass expulsion of the GOP traitors Jan 6. As presidential candidate 24, mass explosion of the GOP for
1: I appreciate it. What's up, B? What's up, Ben? You know, we've got uh, a shoot. lot of show Chat's to no discuss, and as much as I want to oh. talk about your denim jacket, I think you might as mighty want to hear what's going down in the news today. And, but let's talk about what happened this weekend. You know, when I saw this House Correspondence Association dinner, I mean, look, it, it's very funny. You know, and, and Biden kind of switches, you know, from making these, you know, really like hilarious jokes that, you know, would make an episode of SNL kind of feel like, you know, if, if they can't even rise to the occasion of some of these Biden jokes, um, but also striking a serious chord and a serious tone as well about the freedom of the press, about the freedom of our democracy, about supporting journalists abroad. But my overall observation about it is, one, just how normal it yes. is to have, like, a self-deprecating president who can take a joke. Like, I'm going to show you in a little bit because we're going to contrast what went down at the White House correspondence Dinner to essentially what was Fox playing the very next day at the same time, (laughs) which was this interview with (laughs) Mark Levin, who talks like that. And (laughs) Donald Trump, is Mark Levin on the podcast? He was right behind me. And the contrast, though, of President Biden, like, you you know, people are making fun of him and and joking about him. And he's just laughing, right? Meanwhile, you got Donald Trump, when he was in office, (laughs) refused to show up. To any White House Correspondent Association dinner because he was scared. He he couldn't take being made fun of. There is no self deprecating humor there at all. So when you contrast Biden kind of just having fun with it, with then what takes place the next day on Fox, where like Mark Levin has to say to Donald Trump, I just want to let you know, you're so smart, (laughs) you're so funny. I've never had an interview that is such a good interview. You know what? Let's go a little out of order just so people know what the heck I'm talking about. But Mark Levin literally has to say to Donald Trump, this is just how a malignant narcissist and weird this all is. That's what we say here on the Midas Touch Network. You can't normalize this. Do not gaslight the pro-democracy community. You got Mark Levin go, hey, hey. I I just need to tell you, I just need to tell you, when I sit here, and I do this interview with you, and I think about those words that you say, how you put those words together, it's... One of the most brilliant things I have ever seen. If you think that that is me hyperbolically making, no, that's the reality. Watch what he does in this interview. Play this clip.
5: you say this, Mr. President. I've talked to a lot of important people. Supreme Court justices, presidents, presidential candidates, brilliant people. And talking with you, is really the most impressive conversation I've had. Number one, there's very few people who could sit there and speak the way you do, from subject to subject to subject to subject. If people would let you speak and actually listen to you, while you have the enormous pressure on your shoulders of these grand juries and other things going on, and you still are able to do it, that is absolutely remarkable so the threshold for being
1: the republican nominee for president is that you have the ability to speak
3: and like who is preventing you? donald trump from speaking you're the guy from the guy every day the guy can't shut his mouth they're like if only they let you unleash and let your true
1: feelings out into the world donald who's, <laughs> who's, they? They? who's they who's Who's the mythical who's they? They? By the way, I mean, I want to know today. I mean, it was just announced today that CNN's holding a town hall for this freaking maniac in New Hampshire, and CNN's what? going to be running with Caitlin Collins or whatever, doing a whole oh, a whole sit down with him. Who, who are these people who are not letting this guy speak? You know, and they go, "I just kind of want like to know." I speak to a lot of powerful people, Supreme Court justices, and the way you the way you make a sentence. The way you make a sentence, I... Yeah, you know how I know your impressions are good? Because
3: when I see the actual people speaking, I can't tell if it's them or you, and I often feel like they are doing an impression of your impression of them. If I, like when I see Mike Pence speak now, I'm like, it sounds like Mike Pence is doing Ben doing Mike Pence.
1: He's <laughs> really good at, at Mike impressions. Mike Levin, Mike Pence. His Pence. name's Mark, but close. M yeah. name. So. Ben names. That's so fun, you're, you're so close, Jay. You're so close. Yeah, my, 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 my Pence though is is like I gotta I gotta own the Pence better. You know the the the, the, the Pence is. I just want to let you know that <laughs> first and foremost, <laughs> I am a conservative. I am a Christian and I am a Republican. So if you want to do something really bad to me, like if you want to, if you want to hang me, if you want to kill me, I ask you. <laughs> that's what he says. If you want to do, I have to consult my Christian faith and I have to say, do it. Do it for the Republican Party. You notice though when Penn says that what he never says, he never goes, I'm an American, he always goes, I am a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. And He never goes, yeah, I'm, I'm an American. But Brett, that interview with Mark Levin, and I'll, let's go to that one first. I mean, because I showed you that where Mark Levin like literally like makes out with Donald Trump. I mean, it is very, <laughs> it is very, very weird. And then in terms of like the content of what Trump is saying, he just says the same stuff. Like, here he goes. You know, I was treated worse than Abraham Lincoln. Many people are
5: saying that he was been treated worse than Lincoln, who was assassinated.
6: Your place, but
5: say that Andrew Jackson was the most vilified president. There was his wife died during this thing, and they said such horrible things. And he had a very tough presidency. He was a very good president. He was a great general and a good president. Abraham um, Lincoln, they say, he was you know he had a civil war going on, right? But uh, Abraham Lincoln had, was just real fine. he was... But now they say, Trump got through with the worst of all. Because <laughs> what they did is they came up with phony stuff, Russia, Russia, Russia. There were hoaxes. Uh, the Mueller witch hunt, which turned out to be no collusion, you know, after two and a half years, no collusion. I could have told them that the first day. Russia, Russia, And they had Russia. the laptop, they could have figured yes, that out, US because US on the laptop, to if you look at it, you could have figured that Father out easier. Motherfucker. There's never been any. Despite that, people are saying it was one of the most successful presidencies in history, and I believe it was. Again, we built the greatest economy ever. We'll do it again. We, built, we did things that, rebuilding the United States military and rebuilt it, and, and then we nice. added Space Force. Oh, that would be so nice. We added a, sport, a force. We, we added. The
0: bars are at least disqualified. I
1: mean, the guy's a liar about every single thing from the military. rebuilt the military. Well, you know, what rebuild what are we talking about? But Ben, if
3: only they would let him speak,
1: uh, then people would realize this is true genius. But But go off. If only it would let him speak. If only there was an app that was controlled by a malignant narcissist who begs him to go on the platform, like I don't know, Twitter. I mean uh, because that's owned ooh, CNN, Twitter, Fox, and, oh, and I see, other than the Midas CNN Touch CNN Network too, and oh, oh, I see, other than the Midas Touch Network and some reporters at MSNBC and maybe like one or two remaining reporters at uh, CNN, you know, maybe everything's controlled by right wing disinformation or <laughs> corporate media. But if only they would just let him say things like he's the one who rebuilt the the military and no and no one questions that. Like, oh, yeah, I seem to remember that prior to Donald Trump, there, there wasn't a military. And, and he and he took a shovel and, and, and he and he rebuilt it. So he says that crazy stuff. And then in the same interview, he says that. China released COVID to get him, to get him out. That's, that's what happened here. Here, play this book.
5: Uh, China, I was very, from, I was probably the first one. I said it came from the lab in Wuhan. I knew that. And one thing, you saw body bags all over the place around that lab. You know, there were body bags all over that area and nobody talks about it. But in Wuhan, you had, through satellite pictures and other things, you had pictures, body bags all over the place. And you could see little lines, you know, from way up, but they couldn't be anything else. But I said, and I've said right from the beginning, it was the lab in Wuhan. It got out. Uh, it got out of the lab. I think it was incompetence. I, I really believe it was incompetence. More, you know, people said, I was charging China so much money in tariffs and taxes that a lot of people said they did it to get me out. But we did great in that election. We did. I did much better in the second election than I did in the first. I got...
1: You see, the, you see the clip of uh, Congress member Jared Moskowitz in one of the committee hearings where he did Donald Trump's great. We don't have to play the clip, but it's Donald Trump's greatest COVID hits where he <laughs> spread all of the disinformation right before kind of COVID hit our shores and basically said, I spoke to President Xi. He is a strong man. He is a powerful man. He has it under control. And like a miracle, it is all going to go away. Very powerful very strong, and he continues wow. to say that stuff about wow. President Xi, but th- that's what Donald oh, Trump geez. was saying at the that's time, quick. and then he goes, you know, people didn't know, well, we, you didn't know, we all knew, that,
5: that, but we did great in that election, we did, I did much better in the second, election. you could see little lines, you know, from way up, but they couldn't be anything else, but I said, and I've said right from the beginning, it was the lab in Wuhan, it got.
1: in one of the committee hearings where he did Donald Trump's great, we don't have to play the clip, but it's Donald Trump's greatest COVID hits where he spread all of the disinformation right before kind of COVID hit our shores and basically said, I spoke to President Xi. He is a strong man. He is a powerful man. He has it under control. And like a miracle, it is all going to go away. Very powerful very strong and he continues to say that stuff about president g but th- that's what donald trump was saying at the time and then he goes you know people didn't know what you didn't know. We all do. You
3: idiot. It was, it's all projection again. I mean, anybody who was monitoring the news, anybody that was monitoring what was going on in Asia and in Europe knew that COVID was incredibly serious and was appropriately worried about it. And then Donald Trump in rally after rally would get there on the podium, on the lecture and whatever, and he would say, <laughs> and then you hear about this new democratic hoax. It's a hoax. That's right.
1: In one of the committee hearings where he
2: Donald Trump's greatest, we don't have to play the clip. Called COVID.
1: Donald Trump's greatest COVID hits where he spread all of the disinformation right before kind of COVID hit our shores and basically said, I spoke to President Xi. He is a strong man. He is a powerful man. (laughs) He has it under control. And like a miracle, it is all...
2: going to go away. Very powerful. Very
1: strong. And he continues to say that stuff about President G. But that's what Donald Trump was saying at the time. And then he goes, you know, people didn't know. You didn't know. We all knew. You idiot.
3: It's all projection again. I mean, Anybody who was monitoring the news, anybody that was monitoring what was going on in Asia and in Europe knew that COVID was incredibly serious and was appropriately worried about it. And then Donald Trump in rally after rally would get there on the podium, on the lectern, whatever, and he would say, and then you hear about this new democratic hoax. It's a hoax. That's right.
1: In one of the committee hearings where he did Donald Trump's greatest, We don't have to play the clip, but it's Donald Trump's greatest. It's a
3: hoax. That's right
1: in one of the committee hearings where he did Donald Trump. oh, We all do. You idiot. It was, it's all projection again. I
3: mean, anybody who was monitoring the news, anybody that was monitoring what was going on in Asia and in Europe knew that COVID was incredibly serious and was appropriately worried about it. And then Donald Trump in rally after rally would get there on the podium, on the lectern, whatever, and he would say, and then you hear about this new democratic hoax. It's a hoax, that's right. It's Russia, Russia, Russia all over again. It's the big hoax, the big hoax. And he said that repeatedly, and then when it started to get a little realer, he would make the comments like, but President G, good guy, good man. He's got it under control, that president. Good guy, good guy. He's got...
2: Under control. Very, powerful.
3: very powerful, very strong, very powerful, strong. and it top of his game. Top, very very, very <laughs> handsome, man. <laughs> like he literally says things like that. And then he waited for it to get catastrophic. And his whole thing was then like, okay, if we just don't, if we don't test we don't test then we won't have COVID numbers and we'll be doing better mm-hmm. than anybody else. And that obviously didn't work and it was just one failure after one failure after one failure. And hundreds of thousands of people died because of it. And when Trump there blames the incompetence of China for COVID here in the United States, it's once again more projection
1: of his own incompetence <laughs> that he refuses to acknowledge. Unreal. As President Biden says, don't compare me to the Almighty compare me to the alternative <laughs> and it's a it's a funny line that he repeats over and over again but the reality is i'd compare president biden to mostly anyone else out there i mean biden's done an incredible job so far but i want to talk about yeah, president shocker. biden at the white house Correspondents' association dinner because i do want to compare him to the alternative let's let's see what biden says don't compare me to the almighty compare me to the alternative so you just saw the alternative The alternative that you just saw in Donald Trump, that's who the MAGA Republicans want to give the nuclear codes to. That is who they want to make decisions over your life over your family's life. That's who they want to hold those decisions with, with him. I mean, it's so insane to me to even think about that. But comparing that to President Biden, let's go through what went down in the White House Correspondents Association dinner. This is President Biden on Marjorie Taylor Greene. Here, play this clip.
4: I want everyone to have fun tonight, but please be safe. If you find yourself disoriented or confused, it's either you're drunk
7: well, you're Marguerite or you're Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Greene. Green. <laughs> <laughs> That's so
1: good. Here's President Biden and Tucker Carlson. This dinner is one of the two great traditions in Washington.
4: The other one is underestimating me and Kamala. Well, the
0: truth is. Great. great
1: job brendan uh, <laughs> so huh? good but comparing that to president biden let's go through what went down on the White House course
4: Fun tonight, but please be safe. I want everybody to have fun tonight, but please be safe. If you find yourself disoriented or confused, it's either you're drunk or Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs>
7: That's so good.
1: Here's President Biden on Tucker Carlson.
4: This dinner is one of the two great traditions in Washington, the other one is underestimating me and Kamala. Well, the truth is, we really have a record to be proud of. Vaccinated the nation, transformed the economy, earned historic legislative victories and midterm results, but the job isn't finished. I mean, it is finished for Tucker Carlson.
2: <laughs> what are you whining about like You think that's
4: not
0: reasonable? Uh White House.
4: Replace this I want everybody to have fun tonight. But please be safe. If you find yourself disoriented or confused, it's either you're drunk or Marjorie Taylor Green. <laughs> <laughs> that's
7: so
1: good. Here's President Biden on Tucker Carlson.
4: This dinner is one of the two great traditions in Washington. The other one is underestimating me and Kamala. Uh, but
7: the
4: truth is we really have the truth is, we really have a record to be proud of.
0: Vaccinated the nation,
4: transformed
0: the um, Dark Brandon strikes again last night the other night. Good
2: job, Brandon.
0: You've been getting a... Democrats fucking grow a spine, man. Oh, my God. Grow a spine. Dare you to fucking do your job? Job, Brandon. Okay, hey, um, uh, now please call on Congress. Expel DUP traders. Now. Now. I of like 160 of them, <coughs> 160 plus members of Congress, yeah. Well, fine. Well, it's fine. <laughs> Good job, Brandon. POTUS, Joe Biden, you took my suggestions. Took a few... Tell Congress. They cheated in elections, motherfuckers. cross Election cheats. Um, hey. Right. Oops. Let's see, Rose Tucson. That sounds nice. Sounds like a lovely place. Okay. And then, uh. Take, uh. Oh, oh. Okay. Tweet. Right. Still there. Hello, darlings. KAMP stated radio at the University of Down. And KPYT, Tokoyaki, Travel, Yo, I love you. Yes, 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 yes. Here we go. Whistleblower reveals massive scandal every white wing justice implicated. Yeah. Four hours ago. Nice. Nice. Whistleblower reveals massive scandal of chief Supreme Court justice. as touch. 273 K views. Four hours ago. Go. Subscribed. For
6: Popak Legal AF, it's time to dive in to the right wing of the U.S. Supreme Court and determine whether through transparency we have an ethical corruption problem on the court, primarily by the right wing. <laughs> <laughs> or are they just playing by the old rules that everybody played by, and there's nothing to see here? I think it's the former. Well, the I think we have an one ethical one problem that light has not been shined on since the Clarence Thomas revelations, but now embroil at least five of the right others on the right You're wing right of on. the court. Let's start with Clarence Thomas and how we got here. The revelations that Clarence Thomas and his wife have accepted millions of dollars of free, luxurious vacations around the world on the back of a person on the right wing who has regular business before the court. And that's the key. Every time I'm talking about something during this hot take, I'm going to talk about the fact that it links to an entity, a lawyer, a professor, a party who has regular business before the court. That's the problem. And that's the ethical corruption issue. So with Clarence Thomas, Harlan Crow, Real Estate Mogul, far right wing, entertained Ginny and Clarence Thomas on yachts, jumbo jets, and at resorts of his around the world and has been doing it for over a dozen years, and that's not all. He also took off of Clarence Thomas's hands his family homestead and the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in that transaction, as if Harlan Crow couldn't buy any other house but the one that belongs to Clarence Thomas. Harlan Crow and the entities that he uh, has either founded or provided fundraising dollars to in the tens of millions of dollars have regular business in front of the court and Thomas does not recuse himself or disqualify himself from listening to these hearings, and that is the problem. Then you turn to Chief Justice Roberts. Chief Justice Roberts has a wife that has her own career. That's nothing wrong with that. Mm. And in the last five years, She's at about $2 million a year working for a major legal recruiter headhunting firm that places lawyers and groups of lawyers at law firms. The problem is many of the lawyers and groups that she has placed are at law firms who regularly have business in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Regularly. And there's a reason she is placing, obviously, these people at these certain firms because It's a gateway to her husband, right? So we have that. Then we have Neil Gorsuch. Neil Gorsuch, who's also on the right wing, he has a cabin in the woods that nobody apparently wants, except he sells it to the head of Greenberg Traurig, a major firm based in Miami that regularly conducts business in front of the court. And again, Gorsuch does not recuse himself, but he had no problem with a million-dollar transaction with the head of Greenberg Traurig. Of all the cabins in the remote part of Colorado, the Greenberg guy had to buy the one belonging to the uh, one of the Supreme Court justices in, in which his firm regularly appears. Come on. And then you have Alito, who's got his own ethical dilemma because it was revealed by Reverend Rob Schenk several months ago that Alito regularly attended dinners with the founder of Hobby Lobby, the right-wing fundamentalist Christian conservative entity, and at a dinner in 2014, he talked about a decision he was writing, Alito, that was against contraception rights and chose religious qualities above the right of a woman to choose. And that was in 2014, and that was revealed according to Reverend Sink at a dinner hosted hosted by the Hobby Lobby people attended by Alito. And then you've got Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and Thomas, the new reporting for the New York Times today is, who are regularly showered with gifts and other luxury items and other perks by being visiting faculty at George Mason University's Scalia Law School, named after the right-wing former justice who died, Antonin Scalia. But they are wind and dying Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and uh, Thomas regularly. They are even sent to faraway places, and they're allowed to choose the exotic locales that they want to teach courses in, in Italy, in Iceland, in, in London and it's all expenses paid for them and their families. And then there's faculty members at George Mason who regularly, at that law school, Scalia Law School, who regularly submit friend of the court briefs. We call them amicus briefs. Amicus briefs to do business in front of the court in which their co-professor, the Supreme Court Justice, will just their buddy for the summer. So 25% of the amicus briefs that are submitted by Scalia law professors are from people who work side-by-side, co-teaching classes with Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Thomas. Uh, I mean, again, business before the court. If you're doing business before the court, you would think that the justices would stay away from entanglements and appearances of impropriety. That make it appear like they are cur- there being favors being curried with them to change a result. I mean, Scalia University, Scalia Law School, who nobody ever heard of 30 years ago, 25 years ago, it um, was founded just in uh, you know, the 2015s or so, has rocketed up the charts from almost uh, 50 top 50 ranking to now it's pushing top 30 ranking. And they want to have this close relationship with the right-wing justices. Now, look, other justices for the Supreme Court have also guest-lectured at Scalia Law School. Um, Kagan has done it. Sotomayor has done it. The late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was very close to Scalia, has also. But this incestuous closeness between the far right wing of the court and Scalia Law particularly, which is basically run by the Federalist Society by uh, Leonard Leo, formerly a, a Federalist Society executive who donated $30 million in honor of Anthony Scalia, the Koch family who donated uh, $10 million to the school, and then a $1.6 billion, with a B, billion-dollar donation that was made to uh, Leonard Leo's foundation by a little-known uh, electronics mogul, in the Midwest. So used to own a company called Trip Light, T R I P P L I T E, and who donated one hundred percent of the shares of Trip Light to uh, Leonard Leo for him to go out and do all of his uh, campaigning against World principles, critical race theory, and then try to reshape the judiciary. Spending now up, upwards of $2 billion in order to accomplish that task. And one of the funnels for the money is the, uh, the Scalia Law Center at George Mason, with these three law, uh, uh, Supreme Court justices sitting there, uh, with again business being performed in front of them. Well, why isn't this a violation of ethics rules, you might be asking? Because the Supreme Court, since time immemorial, is not subject and has refused to be subject to the canons of judicial ethics that apply to every other federal and state judge. Every federal and state judge in America is subject to the canons of judicial conduct and ethics, except the U.S. Supreme Court they claim, well, we're just a co-equal branch of government, we have our own article in the U.S. Constitution, and it wouldn't be right for Congress to pass um, any type of regulation against us, Um, we'll do it ourselves. We'll self-police. But how's that going? I just outlined at least four or five potential corruption scandals that were all discovered by investigative uh, journalism uh, and, and whistleblowers. How's that going, Justice Roberts? And if we're all looking at Justice Roberts, he just gave the middle finger and thumbed his nose at the Senate Judiciary Committee, led by Dick Durbin, who asked for him to come in to talk about why aren't you imposing an ethical set of canons, an ethical canon on your court. You have a court that's running rampant, at least to the public perception, um, rampantly unethical. And what are you doing about it? Come talk to us about it. And said Chief Justice Roberts took the time to respond by telling Durbin, we're not I'm not doing that. There's only been two other chief justices that have come before the Senate or the House, and it was under very different circumstances, and I'm not coming before you because of separation of powers. But don't worry. We're very ethical because we have just signed on all nine justices to a letter, which I'm attaching, Senator Durbin, that you can read. And I'm going to read you parts of this. And that letter is a statement on ethics, uh, professionalism, and practices that the U.S. Supreme Court justices claim that they follow. Well, you've just heard me in this hot take run through all of the areas where people who have business in front of the court have openly tried to lobby, solicit, and curry favor with individual Supreme Court justices in various ways, paying headhunter fees and revenue to a wife of a Supreme Court Justice, buying real estate and property from uh, taking it off the hands of a Supreme Court Justice, when nobody else apparently wanted it, um, lavishing them with gifts, helping them, in, in Gorsuch's case, helping him find housing when he moved to Washington, when he became a Supreme Court Justice, sending clerks Um, for a low cost or almost no cost (laughs) off of the Scalia Law School, for instance, go work for Gorsuch um, to show how close and incestuous that relationship is. Um, Traveling and vacationing all expenses paid on luxurious luxurious trips for years
7: to somebody who is a right-wing
6: federalist trying to reshape the court and change policy at the court. We've talked about all that. So how does uh, Roberts handle that? Well, here, you be the judge of it. Here is, I'm going to read for you now from his letter, which he claims, Justice Roberts claims, solves the problem, right? Solves for the equation. Here's what he says. The justices, like other federal judges, consult a wide variety of authorities on specific ethical issues. They may turn to judicial opinions and treatises and scholarly articles and the historical practice of the court. And they may take advice from the court's legal office and from their colleagues. Note note that the grammar here. He doesn't say they do. He says they can He doesn't say in any of the circumstances I just outlined that they're going to. He then said that the, uh, in 1922, Congress instituted the Judicial Conference of the United States to manage the lower federal courts binds the lower courts below the supreme court nevertheless the conference has contributed to the development of a body of ethical rules and practices which are of significant importance to the justices oh isn't that nice so you know that your brethren below are being ethically managed by congress and you think that's adorable that's a significant importance to you but you don't say how you how you use it in your daily life how you live the gospel In your daily life. Um, And so it goes on. Uh, It says that uh, the canons of ethics that are applicable not to the Supreme Court justice, but other justices, are broadly worded principles that inform ethical practice, but they are not themselves rules. They are far too general to be used in that manner. Still, the canons as a whole give guidance to the federal judiciary. Okay. Now, (laughs) Let's keep going. They also went on that the, like the lower court judges, justices at the Supreme Court engage in extrajudicial activities, which include speaking, writing, lecturing on both law-related and non-legal subjects. The law canons, the court canons, encourage public engagement by judicial officers to avoid isolation. Okay. Now, it goes on to say that a justice of the Supreme Court should consider whether doing any of these things, working for a law firm, working for a law school, vacationing with right-wing people, having regular dinner meetings with people on the far right, selling property to them and, and, and earning a profit in return. They should consider whether any of these things would be considered by an unbiased and reasonable person to be improper, an appearance of impropriety okay, I'm reasonable, I'm unbiased, I think it's all shows an appearance of impropriety, the way we describe described it, especially here on the hot take. Um, and then goes on to say that no such appearance will be created when a justice speaks before a group, educational institution, a bar group, or a not-for-profit that does not regularly, does not regularly lobby or advocate issues that may be implicated in cases that come before the court. I just described to you at least six examples that are obviously Justice Roberts has buried his head in the sand and doesn't want to acknowledge, in which entities and people who regularly have business in front of the court are getting into bed with members of of the Supreme Court in various ways, financial entanglements and otherwise, to lobby them. And if they don't realize that they're being lobbied, if they don't realize that that, that favor is being curried by spending hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars towards them, then their judgment is seriously in doubt, and they should, be, they should be removed from the, they should be impeached and removed from the U.S. Supreme Court. So that's where we are right now. We've got multiple examples, and they're always always on the right. It's not because I've edited out on this hot take. I don't want to tell you about examples where Sonia seltzer or Breyer when he was on the court, or, or, um, or Kagan, or Taji Brown Jackson, or any of them, did something bad that's similar. We don't have this kind of equivalency. There's no symmetry. It's asymmetrical. The right wing do things until they are told they can't and they have as their protector, Chief Justice Roberts, who's never seen an ethical conflict that he hasn't explained away with a wave of his hand and a paragraph in a self-serving letter, patronizing letter sent back to the Senate Judiciary Committee. That's where we are. We'll follow all of these stories whether it involves thomas gorsuch alito kavanaugh Roberts, on hot takes just like this one that i do on the midas touch network and i assure you that if one of the other justices from the more moderate wing the ketanji brown jackson
0: Uh-oh.
5: Did you turn off my show, Candy? Yeah.
6: <laughs> oh. The Elena Kagan, it the Tonya yours. If, it, if it's discovered that they did something wrong, I'll be right back here in a hot take and I'll tell you all about it. But I got nothing to say as of right now. Every week, I curate with my co-anchors on the Legal AF podcast a show on Wednesdays and Saturdays where we take the top stories, just like this one, and we bring it to you in an hour-long podcast format, both on YouTube, on the Midas Touch Network, and everywhere, every platform you can get an audio podcast. And we're ranked regularly in the top 50 worldwide in news. And then if you like what I'm doing, give a thumbs up it helps. It keeps this content coming directly to you on uninterrupted. Write a comment, write a review. I definitely take a look at it. It improves my presentation and my work for you. And if you like what I'm doing, I'm Michael popock You can follow me on all things social media at MS This is Michael Popok for Legal AF Reporting.
1: A devastating preliminary injunction order is granted against Donald Trump in mm-hmm. New York in connection with the New York State Attorney General's fraud lawsuit. The order appoints an independent monitor to review all of Donald Trump and the Trump organization's finances. This is going forward, in other words, wow, Trump's worst nightmare. Donald <laughs> Trump and Mad person. A Trump aid cash a devastating preliminary injunction order is granted against Donald Trump in New York in connection with the New York State Attorney General's fraud lawsuit. The order appoints an independent monitor to review all of Donald Trump and the Trump organization's finances going forward. In other words, Trump's worst nightmare. And Trump files a frivolous lawsuit in Florida state court against the New York State Attorney General Letitia James. It is incoherent and the ranting and raving of a mad person. Hopak and I will try to make sense of it. Suffice to say, it is going to get dismissed and Trump is going to likely be sanctioned. Also, the Department of Justice grants a top Trump aide that- i turning that into a First nightmare. And Trump filed a frivolous lawsuit in Florida State Court against the New York State Attorney General Letitia James. It is incoherent and the rantings and ravings of a mad person, Popock and I will... to make sense of it suffice to say it is going to get dismissed and Trump is going to likely be sanctioned also the Department of Justice grants a top Trump aide cash Patel what's called derivative use immunity and compels him to testify in the federal grand jury investigating Donald Trump's criminal conduct in stealing thousands of government records, including top-secret sensitive compartmented records from our government, and earlier in the week, the Supreme Court heard oral argument on two cases involving what remains of affirmative action in the college admissions process, and the Supreme Court will almost certainly overrule precedent and rule that affirmative action in any form is unlawful, judging by how the extremists on the court ask their questions. Finally, Rudy Giuliani's motion to dismiss the defamation lawsuits filed by Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman is denied by a federal judge in Washington, D.C. We will discuss the ruling and why the judge who made the ruling, Judge Beryl Howell, makes the ruling, in my opinion, don't know about you, Popak, even more important, the most consequential legal news of the week of our time. This is Legal AF. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by the wise sage, Michael Popak, also known as the Popakian. Michael
6: Popak, how are you? We can put this into context, thanks, Ben, of the midterms that are coming. The, the, Trump is going to likely announce that he's running for office to try to fend off all of these criminal cases that we're going to talk about. But the Department of Justice is ready. You and I are going to talk about today and on other podcasts the reshuffling of prosecutors related to the Department of Justice, the addition, as we talked about last week, not just of David Raskin, but David Brody, a former Siddeley in Austin, Partner who has now rejoined the Department of Justice. We have uh, a supervisory prosecutors who have been moved out of the supervisory role onto being frontline prosecutors, handling all of the grand juries now. The Mar a Lago grand jury, which we'll talk about with Cash Patel, the uh, uh, fake electors grand jury, the Jan 6 grand jury, all being led by now seasoned, aggressive, pit bull prosecutors. Because as soon as the midterms are over, Trump might have something up his sleeve, but so too does Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice. And Fawny Willis has said she's delivering her report to, to Chief Judge, Chief Judge uh, McBurney in Georgia before the year is up. That means 60 days. And now she's got Graham, she's got Meadows, she's ready to wrap up her report. So if Trump thinks he's got something up his sleeve, the prosecutors have something up theirs to nail him. Well, in
1: other words, the Department of Justice has put together their A-team. Their A-team from the existing prosecutors who work at the Department of Justice. And what we're seeing happening is some of the top former prosecutors who got these nice, cushy jobs working at big law firms are leaving those jobs to now work for far less money. Because of our national security interest in having these criminal investigations against Donald Trump become successful. And so people are leaving private practice to join the DOJ, to join Merrick Garland in that team. We will talk about the Cash Patel derivative use immunity, the import of that later on in the show. But first, let's talk about this preliminary injunction order that was granted by Judge Arthur Engeron, a New York State Court uh, judge. That's the judge who is overseeing the fraud lawsuit brought against Donald Trump and the Trump Organization after the three-year special proceedings launched by the New York Attorney General investigating fraudulent business practices by Donald Trump and the Trump Organization. Yes, it was in those special proceedings that Donald Trump was asked under oath to discuss the valuations of his property because the underlying issues are that Donald Trump adult children. Donald Trump Jr. is one of the signatories of these financial representations that are made to third parties. But that these financial valuations that they make in the statements of financial conditions. The lenders that they send to taxing authorities, that they send to insurers. And just for example, you have a set of 12 apartments that the Trump Organization purports to own. The appraisal comes in at $750,000. And what does Trump list on his statement of financial condition? $50 million on the statement of financial condition. By,
6: by the way, by the way, the reason, some people might be thinking, well, why are apartments in New York so cheaply cheaply valued? Because they are rent-controlled apartments for the life of those apartments, meaning the flow of income that would come to anybody that would own them are severely limited below market rate rents. But that doesn't trouble Donald Trump in in his mind, his imagination. Um, I don't know if you caught it, but we're going to talk about the Florida case next. They actually said in the Florida filing to counteract the press, the bad press of the injunction, that his brand and his real estate is of incalculable value. I mean, we're back to the, as you said earlier to start off the podcast, this is the ratings of a madman, that there's no
1: who's got CFO qualifications, who actually understands generally accepting accounting principles. One of the funny things from Judge Arthur Engeron's order is that the individual from the Trump organization who signed off on the financial representations saying they're consistent with generally accepting accounting principles was Donald Trump Jr., who who, during Donald Trump Jr.'s deposition says he doesn't understand GAAP. He doesn't know generally accepting accounting principles. He goes, All I know is what they taught me at Wharton
6: in College 101. I mean, which is just a total, you know.
7: And Alan, they...
6: and Alan Weisselberg signed off on a lot of their financial statements. He's about to go to jail for five months for tax fraud. And he's basically going to be a in the <laughs> down the street when the Manhattan DA's office resumes on, I assume, on Monday. <clears throat> in the case of.
0: Lol. Is why so bark.
6: It's the Trump organization in the criminal case. So you got this ongoing
1: fraud taking place. And then so the New York attorney general says, look, judge, we need you to intervene now. We're not asking yet to appoint a receiver, which is an important point that came up because Trump and his lawyers kept on asking, like, well, they want a receiver who would actually a receivership. A receiver comes in and actually takes over the fraudulent criminal business. When there's a finding made, but here, no, 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 Judge, Thanks, we need an independent monitor, is what the New York Attorney General said. I always talked about the irony there because I'm like, it's kind of like a special master. Although you pointed out, Popock, on the last <laughs> legal app, it's far worse than a special <laughs> master. worse because an independent monitor is literally inserted into your business. But I, I don't know if you caught this, but one of the funny things that Judge Arthur Enduron said during the hearing, which is why I never threaten the judge like Donald Trump did, who's overseeing your case.
6: Rule judge number Arthur one in. in law school, don't threaten the judge. Judge Arthur in
0: Why wasn't Trump charged for the fraud of his own organization? his fucking organization why does the accountant go to fucking jail just the accountant why does just the accountant
1: go to jail goes hmm, i wonder if Judge know, Manieri, the, the special master may be interested in uh, doing the job he cracked a joke during the uh, hearing you know which was very intentionally done and i thought very funny um but the findings that were made by the judge are very 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 um you know harsh on trump and appropriately so you know, you go through this order, and the main point was that was made by Judge Arthur Engron is, look, Trump, you had the opportunity to speak and answer when you were deposed. You pled the Fifth over 400 times. And okay, fine. We want to say you took the Fifth Amendment, you invoked your right against self-incrimination when you were asked the questions about the valuations, and when Tish James said to you, okay, so that property is appraised at this, and then you valued it at that. You explain, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth. Well, that's not a great sign right there. Then what Judge Engoran said is, but also, you could have submitted an iota of evidence in response to the preliminary injunction. The judge said, I have detailed declarations here from the New York Attorney General's office saying here's the financial misrepresentation. You've submitted nothing. Zero. Literally, he says, not an iota of evidence. And then I thought on page 9 of 11 of the order, this was when they make the order that an injunction is necessary, and to make that you have to find a probability of success on the merits, and balancing the equities is in favor of the New York Attorney General. That's the standard, but the judge goes, In the absence of an injunction, and given defendant's demonstrated propensity to engage in persistent fraud Failure to grant such an injunction to result in extreme president to the people of New York. And then he goes, furthermore, given the persistent misrepresentation throughout every one of Mr. Trump's statements of financial conditions between 2011 and 2021, this court finds that the appointment of an independent monitor is prudent and narrowly tailored. So now the parties go and select who the independent monitor is. They got to do that in the, in best the day of days. mine. And they comment on each other. Then one will be appointed this month. Popak, what else do you want to say about that?
6: Yeah, let me let me throw a couple of things back in there. Some of which is uh, tying together some things we've done in prior episodes of the podcast. The power of the New York Attorney General is very unique. A lot of attorney generals around the country don't even have, they, they would envy the power that the New York legislature has given to the attorney general. The attorney general, through the Martin Act, which is you referred to as uh, properly as uh, 63-12, has tremendous abilities in stopping what, what is referred to as repeated fraud by defendants. And that includes what she did here, the power to go into a courtroom and have an independent monitor appointed, a preliminary injunction um, issued by a judge on a standard that is less burdensome than if you and I for a private client tried to get an injunction or an independent monitor. In this case, because she is, she is representing the people through a doctrine we haven't talked too much about, but through an overall doctrine called Parens patrai, which is Latin for effectively, she's standing in the shoes of the people. And she's trying to protect the people and the public from this ongoing forward. And under that doctrine, under that power that the Martin Act emanates from, she, in conjunction with the judge, can do lots of really aggressive things against a defendant, even before they, have, they are found to have committed the fraud. Remember, this is based on a 200-page filing, a three-year investigation, very little defense so far in opposition, and no trial. Look at the powers the New York Attorney General has. Look at the powers that the, uh, which is why Trump is so scared, um, and look at the powers of the judge. All she had to show, and she did, is likelihood of success on the merits. And she's going to win her case. And that's where the findings that you just talked about are so, so important. We're going to talk throughout this podcast today about findings that judges made when their hands are forced by people like Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump to finally go on the record and say what they believe based on the law. And those findings are terrible for people like Giuliani and Trump. We'll talk about it later with Beryl Howell. Howell.
5: Here, Judge Encaron says
6: because of the propensity of the Trump organization to...
0: and they are all disqualified from office now with 14th amendment 14th
7: amendment
6: in persistent fraud, I'm Poetic. going to issue this injunction. Poetic. And I'm going to issue the injunction. <laughs> and to be fair, the injunction is not as far-reaching, I think, as, as Tish James' office wanted. But it's going to be, he is, his organization is not going to be able to transfer any non-cash assets, real estate, property, restructure their business, restructure things away from the Trump Organization into this new entity in Delaware or in Florida without giving the New York attorney general, the monitor, and the court 14 days notice so there could be a court hearing present. So it's not going to run the Trump organization business. That's, as you said, is what a receiver would do. I've been involved with receiverships in defending them. They're scary things. Unless you want one. If you want one, it's great because the receiver takes over the entire business, runs it like the business person, issues reports to everybody, and the judge takes in money. I mean literally, you know, if the business is making socks, it runs the sock business. So it's not we're not there yet. But this monitor is in place. But what did Trump do to dovetail this into the next segment? Trump, knowing there was going to be a hearing on Thursday this past week in Judge Engeron's courtroom, knowing he was likely to lose, I've seen some of his lawyers quoted before saying, "Yeah, we're, we're going to, yeah, she's she's going to get the monitor." <laughs> knowing that, he hired another law firm we've never heard of, based in a whole different part of Florida than where the case was filed, on the west coast of Florida, is a law firm, some sort of I think trusted estate law firm, and they run into Palm Beach County Circuit Court where I used to apply my trade and I tried cases in the 15th circuit the night before angoron's hearing and filed this ridicu- ridiculous ridiculous to use your words a vexatious uh, silly punishable sanctionable case about nothing in florida against leticia james which she only used you know because they're smart <laughs> they knew about that filing and they filed a letter brief james's office the night before leading into the hearing say, saying look what they just did in florida this indicates that they're not going to respect your orders that they're going to try to move assets out of new york into florida away from you and this is just a- exhibit a of why we need the monitor. so another backfire why didn't he wait another day for that because he wanted to step on the news cycle that's all he cares about but the problem with the moving to the florida case the problem with the florida case I don't want to remind everybody, that I'll turn it over to you, Ben, to kind of give the outline for the Florida case. Let's remind everybody. Trump has sued Letitia James in four different fora and has lost every time related to this very civil frivolous.
5: investigation. He
6: ran, he didn't like Judge Engel. And he got charged. He ran to the Northern District. A million dollars. Of Find a million dollars for frivolous lawsuits. In Syracuse area. He and law he law lost one of in May. He took an appeal to the Federal Second Circuit trying to get rid of Engeron and get rid of Letitia James. And he lost. He brought another case
0: get the lawyer in front of up. the New
6: York State with Engeron. He appealed Engeron to try to get her at Tish James on these very same things, that she's got a witch hunt, that she's just doing this for political uh, grandstanding, that this is, there's no real case here. And he lost at the first department which is the first-level Court of Appeals and the Court of Appeals of New York. He has lost every time, raising the very same things. So if anybody's going to read this complaint down in Florida and scratch their head and say, hmm, There might be something here there isn't these very same things have been raised in front of four different courts including appellate courts and he's lost every time he's going to lose in florida that case is going to dismiss it's going to get dismissed very quickly i want you to kind of do the overview of it i'm going to talk about the judge situation we've got a little judge situation down in florida you know no surprise and i'll talk about that Yeah, because Trump isn't filing, like, lawsuits. He's
1: not utilizing the courts. He wants to use the courts as soundboards for his fascist press releases. And look, as practicing attorneys, Popak and I deal with preliminary injunctions frequently. This isn't like a new thing. Preliminary injunction, oh my gosh. What do you do when there is a preliminary injunction? If you are in the receiving end and you're representing someone who the order can be against, what do you do? You submit declarations with affidavits that has evidence. And go, well, here is what rebuts the showing that they can establish a probability of success on the merits at this stage. Instead, Donald Trump's arguments in the New York case were... Uh, Tish James doesn't have jurisdiction. And it's like, yes, she does. Literally, the statute. The New York executive law, like literally gives the jurisdiction, like, it's right there. And then Trump's other argument, not evidence-based, he just goes, well, I give this disclaimer in my statement of financial conditions, and the disclaimer is a disclaimer of his accounting firm, Mazers, and it says, don't rely on us, Mazers, because we've relied on Trump. And the judge is like, how in the world are you relying on that as a disclaimer against you? Why? even yours it's not even your disclaimer it's, your, it's disclaimer. your accountant's disclaimer and you can't just lie that would defeat the whole purpose of a statement of financial condition if liars can get away with it by lying with it So just complete and utter BS. One more observation. Alina Habba practices in New York. She was the lawyer. Guess what? They called in Christopher Kais because guess what? Alina Habba's not like a real freaking lawyer. And I keep telling you, she's like the worst lawyer in the world. Like, I think worse than Jenna Ellis. And if she was a good lawyer, they would have her argue that, but they brought in Chris Keist because Chris Keist actually has a reputation in Florida for being the Solicitor General, and so his role was he's, a little yeah, bit. He's argu- Sorry,
6: go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you.
1: He's argued cases before the Florida Supreme Court. He's and U.S. Cases. Supreme Court. And U.S. Yeah, Supreme so he Court. knows what he's yeah. doing, but he goes there, you know, and all he's got really is the $3 million that he's grifted off of the Trump grip of the Save America organization grip, but he's there with no evidence. He looks like an idiot. And so he told from team, don't file this stupid Florida case. This Florida case is stupid. I'm already going to look stupid in this, it's what he said. Like, this is what the reporting yeah. is. I'm already going to look like an idiot when I go in front of Judge Arthur Endron. Can you please make me look like less of an idiot when I argue? Because <laughs> the first thing Tish James is going to do when you file this stupid freaking lawsuit is she's going to send it to the judge in New York and say, Look, they're trying to hide their assets. See? This is exactly what they're doing here. And that's exactly what was, Tish was James is Was this your hot take? where the lawyers are fighting over who's going to commit malpractice first. They're all saying you're committing malpractice, (laughs) you're committing malpractice. (laughs) They've all accused each other of committing malpractice. But look, as I pointed out in the video, malpractice, you insinuates that the client is the victim or the The client wants this malpractice so it's not malpractice it is unethical and this lawsuit that they filed in florida in the circuit court of the Fifteenth judicial district for palm beach county is a completely frivolous gibberish weird thing and you remember at the beginning i said I, i gave you the example of what this like lawsuit says this is what it says this is literally what it says As a private company, nobody knew very much about the great business that then businessman Donald Trump had, but now it is being revealed by James. And to her chagrin, the continuing witch hunt that has haunted and targeted Donald Trump since he came down the, quote, golden escalator at Trump Tower continues since 2015, Trump built a great and prosperous company, but the company... Nevertheless that must be carefully and delicately, yet powerfully managed. And the appointment of a political monarch like you read this. Where is I'm the like, punctuation okay, in this sentence <laughs> and is a completely frivolous, gibberish, weird thing, and you remember at the beginning I said I, I gave you the example of what this and then but, I oh wait, the, is a completely frivolous, gibberish, weird thing, and you remember at the beginning I said I, I gave you the example of what this, like, lawsuit says. This is what it says. This is literally what it says. As a private company, nobody knew very much about the great business that then businessman Donald Trump had, but it now it is being revealed by James and to her chagrin, the continuing witch hunt that has haunted and targeted Donald Trump since he came down the, quote, golden escalator at Trump Tower continues since 2015. Trump built a great and prosperous company, but a company nevertheless that must be carefully and delicately yet powerfully managed. And the appointment of a political monitor, like you read this. Where and is I'm the like, punctuation
6: okay. in this sentence?
1: There is it. And then I'm like scrolling <laughs> down, and I'm like, okay, I'm on page ten, and it's just saying that Donald Trump, good Tish James, communist. Okay, where? What is he alleging? And then well, I wait, get but- the- is a completely frivolous gibberish. Weird thing, and you remember at the beginning I said I, I gave you the example of what this like lawsuit says.
6: This is what it says. This is literally in this sentence.
1: There is it. And then I'm like scrolling <laughs> down, and I'm like, okay, I'm on page ten, and it's just saying that Donald Trump, good fish, James,
6: communist. Okay, where? What is he alleging? And then but, I oh, wait, ben, the- ben, Ben, wait, wait, wait. Go back. Look at the allegation on. Personal jurisdiction. And you pick it up. The the in order to sue somebody in a state, the court has to have fundamentally first what's called personal or impersonum jurisdiction over the party or, or the other person. So you have to make a good faith allegation in your pleading if you're the plaintiff as to why the court should even hear this matter involving the person that you've now sued. Look at the paragraph on why the court has jurisdiction over the New York Attorney General, they quote to some trust power that she's not exercising that she is she hasn't even gone after the trust in Florida and using that as the hook for jurisdiction. And don't acknowledge because they either don't understand it or they want to they want to keep this suit alive long enough so it gets the press to step on the injunction press an anchor on court, because they know this is going to go out the window as soon as a judge takes a look at it, you can't sue a municipality, a state entity or actor outside of the state in which they operate. They, It's called home rule, municipal home rule. You're, you only can sue that person. You can only sue Tish James in New York. You can't sue them in Florida. But they don't care about Little niceties like we don't have personal jurisdiction over the person we're suing because, as you said, this is a press release masquerading once again as a lawsuit. Same thing we talked about last week with the sanctions motion that has been filed.
1: I'm all confused, there's so much.
0: Right, you bloody well, right. He got what was the one he got fined? Hillary Clinton case.
1: Against Trump and Alina Habba for bringing that ridiculous Rico racketeering defamation, whatever the freak lawsuit that was, that they the filed back in March of 2022 case. against Hillary Clinton and all these other individuals who they said they did Trump wrong, they did Trump dirty. Like, that's not a lawsuit, number one. And the judge said these are, the judge literally said these are the ranting, the federal judge, Judge Minnington, or Mid- uh, Judge of Southern District. Oh, Middle Middle
6: Middle Middlebrook. Middlebrooks.
1: Yeah, I said it's the rantings and raves. The judge said it like, what <laughs> is this? And the judge retained jurisdiction. Clinton and all those other defendants in that federal case are seeking one million seventy-four thousand dollars in sanctions jointly True, and like severally that. against Elina and Trump. And the judge is going to grant it there because the judge has already said it was a frivolous lawsuit.
6: And don't gloss over that. Under Rule 11, which is the rule, one of the rules that he'll be using or his inherent authority as a federal judge to to issue a sanction, it'll definitely be against Donald Trump. It could also be against Alina Habba. I hope she's made a lot of money representing uh, Donald Trump. She gets it with a half a million dollar personal judgment as a bar member. You know, like let's say she gets half of it. That's a lot of money for a small little law firm sitting on the back the back 18 of the uh, of Trump uh, golf course.
1: By the way, in most states, and I assume it's similar in New York, if you get sanctioned by a judge over a certain limit, you have to self-report to the state yes. bar of your sanction. The- I guarantee you being sanctioned for a million dollars is going to be. And the main sanction statute, and I guess I'm digressing talking about the Alina Habba sanctions, but I love talking about the Alina Habba sanctions. Um, The best part about it, though, is that it would likely be against her and the main statute at issue is actually against the law firm. That's the easiest one to get.
6: And she she has to pay it. And she has to pay it. And if the bar finds out that she borrows the money, for instance, because people are thinking, well, Trump will pay it for her. He can't. It has to be a punishment against the lawyer or the law firm. And if she doesn't pay it, and I've seen this happen before. She'll be in contempt, literally in contempt of court, and she could go to jail and lose her law license. So it's, it's a serious thing. Again, making attorneys get attorneys. A serious thing when you represent Donald Trump and you sign pleadings as an officer of the court. You and I are officers of the court. When we sign a pleading, we appear at court, we look a judge in the eye. We're not tweeting about it. okay? We have duties and ethical responsibilities. Your lawyers get a bum rap. Rightly so for some people on this show. But we are ultimately the members of an honorable profession that is a very highly regulated profession, ethically. And you can get your ticket pulled, get your license lost because of these ethical violations that you and I have outlined over the last two years.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that Kamala Harris said when she was the Attorney General of California, and she spoke before a group that I was in in 2011, she said, a lawyer, I still remember this very vividly. She says, a lawyer needs to understand the power of their pen. And when I sign something as the AG, and when you sign something, people's lives are impacted by. Always remember the power of your pen. That's something that's always last a la." left a lasting profession for me. But as you scroll down through this ridiculous, uh, incoherent ramblings and ravings of a lawsuit, you finally get to paragraph 119, which I think is what he's actually asking for. And it goes, President Trump, by the way, he keeps calling himself President Trump. Uh, It's like, dude, you're not the president anymore. But it goes, President Trump reasonably fears that James is handpicked justice again what are you talking about, will require President Trump to disclose the terms of his revocable trust and fine President Trump $10,000 a day for not providing it if she asks for such relief in the New York Supreme Court, which she has given every indication she will do.
7: But hasn't done yet.
1: But hasn't hasn't done done. yet. (laughs) And so this is about hiding the revocable trust, which just goes to show you, It's the exact reason why Tish James wants the independent monitor because he's going to try to shield his assets when he's hit with the
6: disgorgement order. He's going to fraudulently transfer. Okay, all this lawsuit says is I, Donald Trump, former president of the United States, is planning to fraudulently transfer (laughs) out of New York jurisdiction into my revocable, not even irrevocable, my revocable trust in which I am both. Just to have a little trust and estates law breakout session here. I am both the grantor, meaning I establish the trust, and the beneficiary, mm-hmm. meaning I get the benefit mm-hmm. of the trust. Same person. An irrevocable <laughs> trust, meaning I can revoke it at any time, which again, I don't does not quite get the same protection. You know, so usually people set up trust funds for
1: their usually people set up irrevocable trust funds for their kids. Trump sets up
6: revocable, revocable trust to funds for to them. himself. Right. Okay. So that's real insightful. Right. And then, and then, okay. And that is the so he's asking for basically an advisory opinion because there's no real harm yet to enjoin a party that is not properly before the court because she's the New York Attorney General doesn't ply her trade in Florida or Palm Beach County hasn't done anything in Palm Beach County in order to have the court exercise what's called long-arm jurisdiction to drag her in, even if she could be dragged in under principles of comedy and the like. And then and then, lastly, I want to just talk about the judge for a minute. I don't know if you caught this part, Ben. Did you catch who the judge is for now? Who's the judge? So the So, and I'm not making this up. The division that the case has been randomly assigned to because they do the spinning, spinning of the wheel in, in Palm Beach County uh, in the circuit courts as well, is Division AF. I'm not making it up. It's like Legal AF. And Division AF is currently staffed by one judge. Okay, his, name, his name is Judge Castronacus. The problem with Judge, he's great for the case, potentially, and against Trump. He's great for democracy and for liberty, and, and he's terrible for Trump for as long as he remains, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Kastronakis is a former assistant U.S. attorney, prosecutor, Southern District of Florida, who made his bones prosecuting public corruption. He's like the no, no, no. Tish James of Palm Beach County, federal side prosecutor. He brought down five major commissioners, county commissioners and elected officials in in Palm Beach County during his... 14 years as a prosecutor. He then ran, no, I'm sorry, he was appointed by Charlie Crist, who's now running for Democratic governor, but was then a Republican moderate governor, onto the bench. He, he A little controversial, he's had some issues, he's had some issues about some of his rulings and jailing certain people. He's decided that he is not running for reelection, next, uh, like this week. And so, He's, gonna, he's just going to finish out, till, he's just going to be the judge on this case until January. Now, there could be a lot of activity between now and January. If the case stays in Division AF, there's two people running for the job. One is a Federalist Society member. She's a juvenile dependency lawyer by trade, but she is an active member of the Federalist Society. She's running against the former Assistant Attorney General for the state of New York, of the state of Florida, who before she came to Florida twelve years ago, worked as a lawyer in New Jersey, okay this is strange Bedfellows where she practiced litigation and real estate law and she she said she went to a Federalist society meeting once but didn't like it and decided she didn't want to join so we don 't know quite who the judge is going to be. it could be caststronacus, but if there's motion practice about lack of personal jurisdiction, motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim and all of that, it's probably going to be in front of one of these two judges that's running for election on Tuesday.
1: Wow. Popak, we will keep everybody updated there, but it seems like a pretty obvious one to dismiss. I guess if there is a judge who would lean in favor of Trump the best that they could really hope for, is that they're not going to be sanctioned, tens of thousands or millions of dollars would probably be the best result and outcome. But here's the thing. The media really needs to call out these lawsuits for what they are as completely without merit. That needs to be in the headline. It can't just be Trump files lawsuit against Hillary Clinton. And then when he's hit with these sanctions, the media doesn't
6: care about it. We talk yeah, he, about this a lot on you, on, on you, You've been great. You've been great. Your brother's been great about this all too. Thank you. That's why you. That's why I have beyond. So I can compliment right. you. You've been great because it's not just it's not just both sides sidesing it, which it is. It's putting these things on moral or legal equivalency because of the way you run your headline business. Every because we all do research before we get on this show. I know I know some of our trolls think we don't, but we do. And so when you when you pop in Florida lawsuit Trump, Letitia James, every headline in every major media outlet, independent alleged, you know you know down the middle alleged, is exactly the way you just framed it. Trump sues Letitia James in Florida for whatever he's suing it for. what it should say in the first paragraph, first, second, or third line is in an obvious attempt to step on the media coverage from tomorrow's injunction and and monitor hearing in New York he has filed what it looks to us as legal analysts to be a load of shit but they won't write that well this is why we have you and I have a lane where we can speak every week and you, almost every day about media coverage of lawsuits because they don't understand the power of the pen that you talked about that left an indelible mark on you as a professional, the power of the media to give equivalency to things that are not equivalent because of the way they cover it, to balance the scale. Where one is a bowling ball, you know, like Letitia James's case, and the other is a feather like donald trump's lawsuit and say oh it's balanced it's not balanced call it for what it is at least at least in some aspect of your media empire your media outlet have legal commentary. I listen to legal commentary because, you know, this is our hobby now. So I listen to it on CNN and MSNBC, and it's terrible because they are twisting themselves into pretzels to try to be, quote-unquote, fair and balanced. What all they're doing is setting up in a... a um, uh, uh... intellectually dishonest equivalency it's between two things that are not equivalent. And then you have the uh, 30 seconds each. Tell me about the position of 30 seconds. Go.
1: Well, you, you, you can't. If you want me to really explain <laughs> to you the issue, that's just not the way it works. Speaking of which, though, Popox derivative use immunity can't be explained in 30 seconds, but I bet you you could do it in three minutes. The difference between derivative use immunity transactional immunity what that means that the doj has granted cash patel derivative use immunity they've compelled him to testify before the grand jury in washington dc that is overseeing the department of justice's criminal investigation into donald trump's theft of government records where does cash patel fit into all of this well cash patel during the Trump administration, was one of Trump's hand-picked lackeys to join the Department of Defense. He was appointed as the chief of staff position. His goal was to literally stop the peaceful transition of power. Remember the fascist pillow guy leaving the White House with that piece of paper also saying, Point appoint Cash Patel. Acting CIA director. There was attempts to literally have Cash Patel take over the CIA to take over the Department of Defense and everybody in t- inside was quote unquote team normal, which to me is still team complicit with the Donald Trump administration, all rebelled against that concept. But after Trump left, Cash Patel was appointed as Trump's designated representative uh, to the National Archives, which basically means Tell did nothing because there was no process with the archives as Trump stole all the top-secret records. But then Patel ran his mouth with all of these right-wing extremist magazines and papers and media.
6: And And the Wall Street Journal.
1: And the Wall Street Journal. Well, the, the most egregious one, I thought, was this early May interview he did with Breitbart, where he goes... I was there when Trump declassified everything, and he bragged about it. He said he declassified things about Russia and other things about our national security. I'm not going to tell you more than that, but he declassified all of those things, and he goes, and then he blamed bureaucrats. He goes, and the issue is, these idiot bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. didn't paper it, and they should have, but he declassified all that document, which goes to Trump's intent which we know exists, but anyway, you have to prove your case sometimes, so you, it's helpful to have this evidence that Trump stole these records about Russia. He stole these other top secret records that he specifically wanted to keep for these purposes to use for his own use. So that's one of the things that Cash Patel is useful for, in, in addition to a number of other things. But he so he testified first, October thirteenth, and Cash Patel I'll tell you more than that. But he declassified all of those things, and he goes, and then he blamed, which we know exists. But anyway, you have to prove your case sometimes, so you, it's helpful to have this evidence that Trump stole these records about Russia, he stole these other top-secret records that he specifically wanted. For these purposes, to use for his own use, so that's one of the things that Cash Patel is useful for. In, in addition to a number of other things, but he so he testified first, October 13th, in response to a subpoena. He pled the fifth to each and every question. The government then went in front of the judge, who's over. I love barrel. I won't tell you more than that, but he declassified all of those things, and he goes, and then he blamed bureaucrats, he goes and the issue is these idiot bureaucrats in Washington DC didn't paper it and they should have, but he declassified all that document, which goes to Trump's intent, which we know exists, but anyway, to have to prove the case It's helpful to that evidence, that Trump stole these records about Russia, he stole these other top secret records that he specifically wanted for these purposes to use for his own That's one of the things that Cash Patel is useful for, in addition to a number of other things. So he testified first October 13th in response to his subpoena. He pled the fifth to each and every question. The government then went in front of the judge who's overseeing all of the grand juries in DC. That's Judge Beryl Howell. We'll talk uh, more about her in the review Giuliani ruling. It's become the Beryl Howell show. I love Beryl Howell. I'll tell you more than that. But he declassified all of those things, and he goes, and then he blames bureaucrats. He goes, and the issue is, these idiot bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. didn't paper it, and they should have, but he declassified all that document, which goes to Trump's intent, which we know exists. But anyway, you have to prove your case sometimes, so you...
2: Blames evidence that Trump stole
1: these records about Russia. He stole these other top secret records that he specifically wanted to keep for these purposes to use for his own use.
5: So that's one of the
1: things that Cash Patel is useful for, in in addition to a number of other things. But he so he testified first October 13th in response to a subpoena. He pled the fifth to each and every question. The government yeah. then went in front of the judge who's overseeing all of the grand juries in DC. That's Judge Beryl Howell. We'll talk more Beryl about Beryl. her in the Rudy Giuliani ruling. It's become the Beryl, Beryl Howell show. I love Beryl By Howell. I don't want to tell you more than that, but he declassified all of those things and he goes, and then he blamed bureaucrats. He goes, And the issue is these idiot bureaucrats in Washington, DC didn't paper it, and they should have. But he declassified all that document, which goes to Trump's intent, which we know exists. But anyway, you have to prove your case sometimes. So it's helpful to have this evidence that Trump stole these records. in response to a subpoena. He pled the fifth each and every question, the government then went in front of the judge who's overseeing hmm. all of the grand juries in D.C. That's Judge Beryl
6: Howell. We'll talk more Beryl about Beryl. her in the Rudy Giuliani ruling. It's become the Beryl, Beryl Howell show. I love Beryl by Howell. By the way,
1: Beryl Howell had previously
2: Ruled in the other grand
1: jury. supervising in connection with the January 6th insurrection, which is basically across the hallway at people like Mark Short, the former chief of staff to former Vice President Pence, people like Greg Jacob, the former general counsel to former VP. And there's also now more motions about other Trump lawyers that they couldn't assert executive privilege to not testify there. So she gave a very favorable ruling to the DOJ and that other grand jury. But here she found that, look, Cash Patel, based on his testimony, could be incriminating himself. If you want to compel him, you have to give him immunity. They chose to, DOJ chose to give him derivative use immunity versus transactional immunity. Which still means he can be Gosh, prosecuted um, if they find independent information on him outside of what he testifies to. But break it down, Popok. Derivative okay, well, versus
6: transactional, and why I, this is important. I'm going to do it. I got one question for you. Let's go back to Ben for a minute. Move your move your microphone. What does your shirt say? I think it's I know uh, what it says. I'm ben doing Ben what things? <laughs> I love that. Where's my I'm Popok? Doing Popok things? Holy! <laughs> I, get, I get it. Get it to All you right. for the holidays. Yeah, I love that. That's really great. Okay. So, let's talk about what you said, Cash Patel, and use immunity and transactional immunity and all that. And this dovetails with what I said to start the show with with you, Ben, which is the the DOJ is battening down the hatches and is getting all their ducks in a row and getting all their prosecutors reorganized, lined up, adding turbocharging the prosecutorial front lines on all of these grand juries that Beryl Howell, as the chief judge, is supervising. You and I have talked about it. We think there's four or more. Could be up to six. We think there's four or more. And every time there's a question of, does attorney-client privilege uh, apply here? Or has it been waived? Or is it the crime-fraud exception? The answer to that question goes before Beryl Howell. Executive privilege is being asserted. Uh, Is that appropriate? That goes to Beryl Howell. So all of this is going on pre-midterm elections, so that and, and getting people like Kash Patel immunity, so that the Department of Justice is ready to go. There's even reporting out there. But I don't know if you caught this. There's even reporting out there that Merrick Garland is strongly considering, after the midterm elections, if Trump announces that he's running, the appointment of an independent prosecutor against Donald Trump. We'll talk about that if and when it happens, but the fact that that's even out there, that that thought process is out there means mm-hmm. the Department of Justice is ready for the chessboard, whatever move Trump makes next. If, they, if anybody thinks that that office is gonna be caught flat-footed by an announcement at some rally that Donald Trump is running for office, which everybody knows he's gonna announce, they are in for a rude awakening. Cash Patel first among them. Now, what they didn't grant Cash Patel, as you said, is what's called transactional immunity. Which the federal government almost rarely does anyway which is come in and tell us whatever you got we're giving you absolute immunity for any crime that that you could have been charged with just come talk to us it's rarely done in the federal setting there's two types of what you call derivative or use immunity one of which we've talked about in the past which is queen for the day queen for a day it's the same thing as what they just gave cash patel but it arises in a different, uh, uh, different uh, uh, behavior, conduct. Clean for a day is the the um, the defendant, the target, in this case Cash Patel, through his counsel, work out a negotiated deal and an agreement, a proffer agreement, to proffer, to offer, in in writing or in in interview, testimony. And if the proffer is the following right and that's the lawyer writing this the government agrees in advance to give that person use immunity what's called queen for the day you're the queen for the day and you can tell us whatever you want and if we're going to do um anything against you we can still prosecute you we can't use your statements if we independently if we independently originate them or find them through our investigative techniques we can use them but not exactly what you just told us the difference here is Cash Patel, there's a uh, person like that, has not entered into a voluntary negotiated position or agreement with the Department of Justice. Instead, the Department of Justice, using its power and authority under the DOJ manual and guidelines, is applying to Judge uh, Howell, the judge overseeing the grand jury, for permission to grant the, the uh, witness use immunity. So that whatever he tells them in those negotiated in those discussions, it can't be used against him, but he can still be prosecuted for anything else if they independently originated. So it's a little bit different. One is private lawyer negotiating queen for the day to a use immunity. The other is you apply to the federal judge to, a, to grant use immunity. And she's already told. The department of justice because she had a hearing on this and she said that the fifth amendment assertion by cash patel was genuine and appropriate and in good faith and i'm not going to strip the fifth amendment away from him so if you're going to have him testify you're going to have to come back here and apply for use immunity which has now been granted, and now he has said he will, of course, testify because now he can't argue Fifth Amendment because anything that he says will not be used against him in the court of law, and so now she can compel him testify because he has no and he did and he did testify we don't know if it's grand jury it's secret we don't know exactly what it was but we know what it's going to go to it's going to go to all his stupid comments including to the wall street journal where he said things just remind people things like trump has the ability to just think about it and declassify something there doesn't have to be any formal writing or procedure that's a lie second thing he said was there's a lot of things that Trump rightly took with him, like Russiagate stuff, like Hillary stuff. Right, it's exactly what we said. He has an enemies list, and for his own personal use, transactional use, he, Donald Trump, sticky figure trump took with him all of these documents that he found interesting that he would use against his political enemies at some other time that's not the purpose of president i don't know why i'm getting so excited that's not the purpose of presidential it's exciting exciting. so so that's where cash patel is and he's already testified but the thing that i love about about doing the show with you is that we get to literally visually connect the dots and all all the roads and all these dots that we've been talking about for half of the show Go back to Beryl Howell's courtroom, Judge Judge Beryl Howell's courtroom, who she alone is making all these decisions. So don't worry as much, listeners and followers, to what's going on in Judge Cannon's courtroom, and you know we'll give you updates on Ray Geary, But the person through which all of the of the all the roads against Donald Trump is going through Beryl Howell's courtroom on a daily basis.
1: Uh, one thing to point out as well: if Cash Patel lies. During his compelled testimony, he can be charged with the crime of perjury. So that is not uh, extinguished simply because he's granted uh, derivative use immunity. I wanted to point that out. And then you mentioned a Judge Eileen Cannon. You know, we talk about make attorneys, get attorneys. You know, she's an example, though, of a judge who sacrificed all of her dignity for the most like, irrelevant like when in, in the scheme of things, as you point out, Popak, after the Eleventh Circuit basically said, no, give the Department of Justice their classified records back. What are you doing? Like, this whole process before the special master there at this point, we're just basically waiting for the expedited appeal to take its course. We pretty much know she's going to lose and that or Trump's going to lose and her assertion of equitable jurisdiction um, should never have been given in the first place. But I like that you see other judges also just to throw shade her way as well, because she's like the laughingstock in the judiciary. So in a recent case where uh, Mike Lindell, the fascist pillow guy, tried to uh, basically do the same thing that Trump did, but in a courtroom in Minnesota, and he was before the district court there. There, the judge, I think the judge's name is Kostrad, who's actually a Trump mm-hmm. threw in a footnote and basically said, and it is beyond anyone's, you know, beyond a doubt that you can't just assert equitable jurisdiction in these, you know, in these situations. And so just judges throwing shade yeah. at her for her absurd, let, uh, for
6: her let, absurd. Let, And let me remind everybody, because um, in the case we, we we want everybody, to, we want all of our information to track. You and I spend an, an inordinate amount of time trying to get this right and trying to explain it in a way, and, and not, you know, we don't dumb it down. I think and nobody that listens, has listened to 150 or 200 of our podcasts thinks we've ever dumped anything down. We have an intelligent, sophisticated audience who may not be all lawyers, but we explain it to them in a way that it, it makes sense, that it fits together in a coherent system. The Mar-a-Lago subpoena that was the Mar-a-Lago issues are also before a grand jury in Washington, D.C. That's where some of these subpoenas have come out of and they end up back through Beryl Howell not through Cannon the one that was executed in Mar-a-Lago, yes but the the broader issues Kash Patel testified not in the Southern District of Florida he testified in the Mar-a-Lago grand jury sitting in D.C. supervised by Beryl Howell have faith, have confidence. We've got judges and adults on the bench, including Trump appointees, who, as you said, are throwing shade on all these ridiculous, nonsensical um uh, irrational legal positions,
1: and Judge Eileen Cannon simply was involved, as you mentioned, because well, she shouldn't have been. <laughs> the search warrant was executed; it was signed by a magistrate judge who had, we talked about jurisdiction earlier in this episode, where jurisdiction lay um, in the Southern District of Florida, was before the magistrate judge. And then this judge, Eileen Cannon, asserted equitable jurisdiction that should never have taken place in the first place. Um, and if you like independent media like this, I do want to tell everyone we have a lot more to discuss. But if you like independent media like this, please check us out at Patreon.com/slash/MidasTouch. Join one of the memberships there at Patreon.com/slash. You might have touched a number of memberships there with exclusive content, uh, behind-the-scenes footage, exclusive podcasts, exclusive merch drops, and more. But most importantly, you can help grow this independent network. We are not funded by any outside investors at all, so no millionaires or billionaires who fund the both side media
0: What's it on Twitter. Great job, guys.
1: None of the people who fund the pro fascist meeting, none of that. We are purely independent because we are fueled by you. If you can help, no matter where you are in the world, Join one of the memberships at patreon.com slash touch. Also, today's program is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that Athletic makes comprehensive Greens. daily nutrition, real putting rights act, and he challenges affirmative action, yeah. anything where he claims that white people are being persecuted and that we live in, that there is no more racism taking place and that we need everything to be race neutral including voting rights laws and laws that are supposed to improve diversity you're shaking your head, Popak it's Black. It's beca- no, no, you're, no, not because you're wrong,
6: because you're exactly right. I'm shaking my head because we are not, and this is the problem with with dismantling affirmative action and allowing universities uh, or, or precluding universities from using as one factor in establishing their entering class and the campus community overall race because if you don't do that and it's not a proxy for other things this is what Chat my ass when i listened to the uh, or read the um oral argument which went on for five and a half hours chat my ass to hear them talk about oh we're 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 post my we're post racist this country no we're not heard that um well. there's other ways to get a more balanced class without having to use um, race as a proxy—that yeah, may be true—but there—but it is if you're using it as one factor along with—is this kid an alumni uh, 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 potential selection? Did his parents go here, which is a proxy for wealth and a proxy for uh, letting yep. in people that are not allowed. themselves, That's allowed. That's allowed. So you're allowed to let in the kid whose father went to Harvard because his grandfather went to Harvard. So you're allowed to bake in. Um, and bound history. up the ra- historical, history, the his- the historical racism, okay? Because huh? my people, and there's no, no surprise, I'm Jewish, okay? They're, my people, yes, are doing fine in getting into Ivy League schools now, but in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, including Harvard, Jews couldn't get into these places because they were, there was anti-Semitism and they literally found ways to keep them out and then other universities got established like Brandeis and things to, to kind of absorb um, a, a Jewish population. And now Blum is trying to use the Asian attack to say that Asian Americans are being unfairly um, picked on by the selection process because they're using race and so you know it's a zero-sum game you've only got 500 seats in the entering class or 5,000 or whatever the number is and so if you if you give it to this person for all the reasons that you would want to have a well-balanced diverse equitable class you have one less seat for fill in the blank and i want to also say something we are not records. Uh, the
3: biggest challenge a... I
6: see here, um, if you read the statement... And I want to also say something. We are. Not, I know that Sandra Day O'Connor, we're going to talk about her during this piece, and I, I have a lot of respect for her, the late Sandra Day O'Connor, on, who used to be on the Supreme Court. She wrote the decision that they're probably going to dismantle now, back in 2001, and she said, I hope, I hope, aspirationally, that in 25 years or so, uh, in America. Thanks for staying on a little farther into our hour. I appreciate you, Nicole.
5: Thank you, Ari. How great.
6: One, and she said, I hope, I hope, aspirationally, that in 25 years or so, we won't need affirmative action. But I got bad news for her. You know, We still do, because we have not evolved, despite the fact that Barack Obama was elected twice as President of the United States, we have not evolved enough where people below the process are on equal footing so that race should not be a factor in selecting that entering class, I would love for that to be. We would love for that to be, where everybody is sort of on equal footing regardless of race, national origin, gender orientation, sexual orientation, but it is not the case. If anything, the Trump era, the MAGA era has taught us how stubborn racism continues to be in a country that is increasingly becoming black and brown but time will solve this problem 50 years from now your children grandchildren 100 years from now may not have this problem but we currently do have it so to give a student a a a backpack filled with 50 pounds of weight and have them run against a student next to them who does not have that backpack and say go make it to the finish line but i'm carrying 50 extra pounds yeah just keep running oh sorry you didn't make it you don't get to be in the entering class that is that is the opposite to put on blinders now and say we can take race out of the equation it'll be fair and balanced no it won't be And, and anybody that says that is somebody who is who is blinded by their own racism. For Clarence Thomas, during the oral argument, to say out loud, I don't know what diversity means. I don't understand the concept. Yeah. You know what? Then look to your left and look to your right. Because you have a diver- not because of the Republicans, you have a diverse Supreme Court and not because of affirmative action, but look at the benefit of having black, Latino, white women on a Supreme Court that used to be all old white guys. I went, I, I'm not sure your background, I went to public school.